Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Mark chapter number 10 is where you'll find your place for our time together in God's Word. If you've already found your place and if you're willing and able, stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's Word. Mark chapter 10, and we're going to jump down into verse number 17. Now I will tell you this, we, we finished up last week with verse number 12. And so we're going to skip this week, verse 13, 14, and 15, 16. Because we're going to come back to those verses next week on Sanctity of Life Sunday. And I would invite you to be with us next Sunday as we consider, man, that, that the value that God sets, the infinite value that God sets on a human life. And why we as a church must maintain that life is sacred because life is from God and God alone. And that's, that's every life, no matter the shape, no matter the color, no matter the size, all of life is from God. So we'll spend time next week on verse 13 to 16. So for today, we're going to go to verse 17, and we're going to read verse 17 down to verse number 25. Mark chapter 10, verse 17 to verse 25. And when he was gone forth into the way, so, so the he there is Jesus, okay? So when Jesus was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, and that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and he said unto him, Master, all of these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus beholding him loved him and said unto him, one thing thou lackest. Go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he, that young man, he was sad at the saying, and he went away grieved, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked round about and saith unto his disciples, How heartily shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? The disciples were astonished at his words. And Jesus answereth again and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Our Heavenly Father, use your word in our lives. Teach us the truths of your word. And may your spirit apply those truths to our heart. 
And having been applied to our heart, may we make the correct and right response to you and to your word. And in Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said together, amen. amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Have you ever considered why it is that there are, there are some people, there, there are some celebrities in this world who are almost universally celebrated, perhaps even compensated for their religious beliefs, while there are others who are completely rejected and those religious beliefs are universally condemned. Take, take for example, an article ran in a recent sports magazine that read, the 25 most religious athletes. The article celebrates the fact that there are athletes in the world who are known for their religious opinions. The, the article highlighted how these men or women were, were living this good life out in front of the world around them. They were using their platform to mentor people with drug and alcohol addictions. They, they were doing humanitarian work in third world countries. They were advocates, one of them was, for animal welfare. And so they were being celebrated as being overtly religious. And many of these athletes are willing to point to heaven after they score a touchdown. Or, or perhaps they, they, they write Bible verses on their shoes. Maybe even they put Bible verses on their, or their, their social media page. And most of these people are clean cut, they're kind, and there's certainly no one who would want to criticize them for that. But what I'm trying to point out is that there is a brand of Christianity that the whole world commends. There is a brand of Christianity that speaks of being blessed by God or the importance of family or love or prayer or, or compassion. But it never publicly speaks of truth or sin or righteousness, or judgment. The, the greatest threat to Christianity is a false Christianity. The greatest threat to the gospel is not activist atheism. The greatest threat to the gospel, the New Testament writers would help us understand, is a false gospel. And sitting in churches and all around this world are scores of people who think that they know God, but they in fact are not known by God. And Jesus refers to them as foolish virgins among the wise. He calls them tares among the wheat, weeds among the wheat. He calls them goats among sheep or, or bad fish among good fish. 
These are people who claim for themselves the promises of God, the blessings of God. They even, they even think that they are worshiping or praising God. But in reality, they are far from God. Now there is a version of Christianity that thinks they can have Jesus while at the same time keeping their sin. And the Bible knows nothing about that kind of Christianity. If you do not understand your sin, if you do not understand the gravity of your sin, if you do not understand that you in fact are a sinner, then you can never fully understand your need for God's grace. You can never fully understand the depth of God's love. You can never fully grasp the weight, the significance of God's mercy. If you do not understand your sin, then you cannot truly understand the help that God has sent for you and for me. For our sin. You see, friend, God has never promised you to score all of the touchdowns. God has never promised that he would heal all of your sicknesses. God has never promised that he would provide compassion for all the animal welfare. But what God has promised is he has promised to deliver you from your sin. And he made that promise good when he sent Jesus into this world. The rich young ruler is a young man in the grip of such an understanding. He is, in the he is a man who is in the grip of sin, and he doesn't even know he's in the grip of sin. But in the text, Jesus proves it to him. And Jesus says to him, one thing thou lackest. Now, the reality is most of us lack more than one thing. Yes? And this young man, the Bible says, just lacks one thing. But that one thing was enough to keep him from following Jesus. And that one thing was enough... That causes him to not only not go after Jesus, but leave the presence of Jesus sad and miss the kingdom that Jesus was bringing about. That's what's happening in the text. The young man does not say, well, I'll just keep my Christianity and keep my sin and still inherit the kingdom. No, the man chooses to keep his sin and thereby misses the kingdom Altogether. The, the rich young ruler, and, and this is in fact what he was, this is what he's known as in the Bible. He's, he's referred to, perhaps even your Bible highlights it, the rich young ruler. He was young, he was upcoming, he was kind, he was a leader, he was respected, he was religious, he is interested in religious things. You, you know that because he comes to Jesus with a very specific religious question. The question is concerning his eternal destiny. And he frames the question like this. What must I do to inherit eternal life? So in the process of answering that question, Jesus gives to him and he gives to me and you. 
great insight concerning what really matters most in this life. Who or, or what should have priority in my life? And, and how do I spend my life in a way that matters most because I am in pursuit of the one who matters most? The Bible makes it very clear that Jesus demands that you and I give him preeminence in our lives. Colossians chapter 1, that you and I would give him the preeminence, not prominence. Preeminence. Jesus is not looking to be one of many in your life. Jesus is the one and only in your life. So we're looking this morning at this rich young man. How, how is it that we can live our lives for what matters most? Three ideas here. Notice number one, if, if you want to live your life for what matters most, you must go to the right person. You must go to the right person. Look at verse 17. There's, there's Jesus going forth into the way. There, there came one running to him, kneeled to him, asked him, good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So, so evidently this man had heard Jesus' teaching. He was in some way impressed with what Jesus has said. He was eager to meet Jesus. He was eager to hear Jesus. He was even eager to go after Jesus. So he sees Jesus and he calls him, notice, good master. Good master. Now this is what's very interesting about this. You and I use the word good and we use it frequently about other people. We say, well, that waiter was a good waiter. Or my child is a good child. Or my wife is a good wife. So we use that word often to define other people. But in, in Bible days, they didn't use that word in that way. You didn't walk up to someone and say, you are a good rabbi or you are a good teacher or you are a good preacher. You didn't do that. Jewish teachers, in fact, were, were, were never referred to as good. And Jesus points that out. Jesus says, why do you call me good? There's none good but one, and that one that is good is God. And Jesus here is forcing this man to recognize his own true identity. Jesus is saying, why are you calling me good if there's no one good but God? So what are you saying of me? Are you saying that I am God? Is Jesus in fact God? Well, the answer from the Bible is yes. Unreservedly yes. Undoubtedly yes. Jesus was certainly good because Jesus was God. Jesus is not good simply because he has good teaching. Jesus is not good simply because he, good, he does good works. Jesus is not good simply because he performs good miracles. Jesus is good, listen, because Jesus is God. The Bible says in John chapter 6, after Jesus fed the 5,000, he says to the feeding of the 5,000 on that day, he says, you can, you can eat of the bread that I offer you, which is the bread of life, and you will never hunger again. 
And the crowd, the Bible says, hears that and they think, what, what a weird and hard saying that is. What, what, what John is saying is, the crowd listened to Jesus say, I am the bread of life. And if you eat of me, you will never hunger. And the crowd scratches their head and they go, well, that's a really weird thing to say. And the Bible says in John chapter 6, verse, 6, verse 66, that when they wrestled with that, what Jesus said, it was hard for them to accept. And many went away sad. Many went away unbelieving. Many turned back from following Jesus at that point. Why was it hard, to, why was it hard for them to accept? Because in accepting that Jesus is the bread of life, what you are saying is you are saying that you are hungry and that there is no way in which you can ever be satisfied in this life. There is no amount of good works that can fill you up. There is, there is no amount of religiousness that can ever satisfy the longing of your soul. There is no amount of money. There is no amount of prosperity. There is no amount of good works that you could ever do that could meet the deepest hunger of your life. In fact, the only way you can ever meet that hunger is through Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is saying, eat of the bread of life that I am offering you. Essentially, he is saying, believe on me and you will never be hungry again. But if you do not believe on me, you will go through the rest of your life starving in your sin and you will die separated from God. The Bible says many went away from him and Jesus turns to his disciples at this point and says, will you go away also? And Peter turns and says to Jesus, well, who would we go to? Because who has the words of eternal life except you? Man, how many of you know Peter oftentimes gets it wrong in the Gospels, right? Peter is the guy who says the wrong thing at the wrong time at the wrong place, right? It's a lot like you and me. But this time, Peter got it right. Who would we go to that could offer us eternal life? Except God. And Jesus is God. That's what he's saying. If you want to live for what matters most in this life, you must go to the right person, which is to say, you must go to Jesus. And you must go to Jesus for several reasons, but you must go to Jesus first because Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord of creation. In his earthly ministry, all through the study of the Gospel of Mark, we have seen this. He is, he is sovereign. He is, he is in rule. That's what that word means. Sovereign literally means rule or he's in control of, he's reigning over the winds, the waves. He's telling them to sit down and to shut up. And they're obeying him. You try that the next time you're standing at the coast. Just look out at the Pacific Ocean and say, waves, be still and see what happens. And yet Jesus does. Jesus does this. Why? Because he is Lord of all. That is why they obey him. Jesus is able to feed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. Jesus is able to walk on water. Jesus is able to cause the blind to see. Jesus is able to make the lame to walk. Jesus, who is God, has always been God, always will be God, never stopped being God. The one who made the world out of nothing can surely walk on the world that he made. 
that Jesus is Lord of creation. And this is what Mark is saying to you and to me. He is saying, look, the Lord has come. The King has come. He is creator of it all. And all of these miracles and all of this teaching, it all is illustrating the fact that he in fact is God. And now he has come into this world. And what Mark has said is, Jesus is preaching. The kingdom of God is at hand. Believe and repent. And Jesus is Lord of creation. But second, Jesus is Lord, but Jesus is Lord to those who have childlike faith. The kingdom of God belongs to children. That's what he says. The kingdom of God belongs to children. What does that mean? The kingdom of God belongs to children. It means that the kingdom of God, that relationship with God, right relationship with God, forgiveness of sins, truly following after Jesus, belongs to those who are like little children, who are helpless, who are needy, who are lost, who are dependent. Now that's a hard sell, isn't it? Most people do not think, I am helpless. Most people do not think, I am needy. Most people do not think, I am lost. Where, where can I go? I'm help, I'm needy, I'm lost, I'm hungry, I'm starving. Most people do not think that. Most people think, I'm okay. Most people think, I, I, I'm strong. I didn't get to where I got to in this life by being helpless and needy and lost. Most people think I'm, I'm okay, I am strong, or at least I am better than him. And so if God is going to grade this on a scale, well, at least I got that guy beat. And yet what Jesus is saying is Jesus is saying there is no entry into the kingdom unless you come into the kingdom by faith in Jesus Christ. Unless you realize that you are needy and lost and helpless and broken. Unless you are like one of these little ones. Unless you are like a child. You cannot see God. It is the necessity of faith in your relationship with Jesus. Your necessity of faith, a faith in, in accepting what Jesus has said, a faith in accepting what Jesus has done, a faith in accepting what Jesus has provided for you. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For by grace are you saved through faith. Of course it's grace. Of course it's God's love. But how is grace and love appropriated to you? It is appropriated to you through faith. And there are many in this world who go, you know what, Pastor? I just can't believe that. Faith is just too easy. Faith is too simple. I just don't believe in this easy believe stuff. Just faith. Well, listen, it's not just faith. It's faith in Jesus, that's what it is. And while that faith that you're appropriating to Jesus may be easy for you, how many of you know this? Salvation was not easy for Jesus. And yet Jesus willingly entered into what you and I deserved because of our sin. And then Jesus willingly offers to you and to me the payment that he made for our sin if we would, by faith, believe in him. 
It's the necessity of faith. But do you know why it must be faith? Do you know why it must be faith? If I said to you, you can have eternal life, you can have relationship with God, you can have a right relation, you can have all your sins forgiven, you can have that if you will simply pay me $1,000 in cash at the end of the service today. I'll be standing at the back door and I do take money orders. How many of you would line up and go, wow, I want to pay the pastor $1,000 to be given eternal life? And lots of people would do that. Lots of people would say, wow, that's pretty great. I'm an awesome person. I have lots of money. I'm going to buy eternal life for myself. But here's the problem with that. Here's the problem. The problem with that is what if you don't have $1,000? You do, you do realize that there are some people in this world who do not have $1,000? And so salvation and relationship with God, they cannot partake of. They are excluded from a right relationship with God. Why? Because they have no resources so it can't be give me $1,000 and get your sins forgiven. If, if I've told you, you can, have, you can have your sins forgiven if you will simply run around the building 25 times. You run around the building this morning 25 times and then come and see me and let me know that you finished it, then I will absolve your sin. How many of you would go, wow, okay, I'll run around the building 25 times. What about people who can't run? They're excluded from the gift of salvation. You see, friend... But faith is something everyone has. You are either appropriating your faith in yourself and your own good works and your own strength and your own ability and your own awesomeness, or you're taking your faith and you're saying, you know what? I am weak, I am helpless, I am hungry, I am starving, I am nothing. So I am believing on what God has said in his word and I'm believing on Jesus. And the only way to make salvation yours is to stop believing in your own ability, your own resources, your own self, and to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And thou shalt be saved. So the Bible says. And Jesus is dying on the cross. The thief on the cross says, I want to go to where you're going. You truly are the son of God. And Jesus says to him, what? If you'll pay me $1,000 in these last few seconds. Is that what Jesus said to him? No. Jesus said, you better show up to church on Sunday. Is that what Jesus said to him? No, he wasn't showing up to church on Sunday. And Jesus said, too late for you, dude. You lived a bad life. Obviously you did. Look where you're at. No, that's not what Jesus said to him. And Jesus says, no, oh, no, no, no. Today you will be with me in paradise. Why? Because the man in that moment put his faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You must go to the right person. You want to live for what matters? You must go to the right person. And who is the person that we are to go to? We are to go to him who is God. His name is Jesus Christ. And his life is testified of in this book that we call the Bible. Well, you should have got a little more excited about that one than you did, but I'm going to let you pass. You must go to the right person. Second, you must ask the right question. How do I live for what matters most? Go to the right person. Who's the right person? It's not the pope. It's not the priest. It's not the preacher. It's not the deacons. No, no, no. It's not social media. It's not Google. It's definitely not Google. Who's the right person? Christ, Jesus is. 
Who else can we go to that give us the words of eternal life? You must go to the right person. Second, you must ask the right question. How do I live for what matters most? Go to the right person. That person is Jesus. How, how do I live for what matters most? Ask the right question. What's the right question? Well, look at his question. What shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Look at verse 19. Jesus says, well, thou knowest the commandments. Do not, do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and thy mother. So this man is, a, is, is religious. He's devout. He's honest. He's moral. He knows what good is. But, but I want you to see something. Although he knows what good is, and although he's on paper a fairly decent person, there's an uncertainty in his soul, isn't there? All, all of his religion has not provided for him any peace. He does not know if he has eternal life. So all of these good works cannot give him the confidence that he has been given a right relationship with God. He's absent assurance. He's absent assurance because assurance only comes through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. First John, these things write I unto you that ye may know that ye have eternal life. Because you know who you have believed in. You can, you can know that eternal life is yours. If you know who you have believed in, and if you have believed in Jesus, well, Jesus has sealed, he's accomplished, he's provided, he has paid for salvation for you and for me. So if you are believing in Jesus, then you can know that eternal life is yours. But if you're believing in yourself, if you're believing in your good works, if you're believing in your awesomeness, if you're believing in your religiousness, well, then you never really know, do you? You never really know if you've done enough. You, 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 re, you never really know if God is still counting that other thing you did. You never really know. Because you have not, you have not by faith hung on to, thrown yourself, believed the words of Jesus. You must ask the right question. So this man has got all kinds of uncertainty. He has done all kinds of good things. In fact, he's done all kinds of things. But he has not yet done the one thing that is necessary in order to make eternal life his own. And so he asks the question, how do I get it? This is perhaps the greatest question you could ever ask. How can eternal life become mine? This question isn't a bad question. In fact, there's lots of people who, 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 who write poorly of this fellow, read most commentaries. They talk poorly of this guy for asking this question. This question isn't bad. And Jesus doesn't even berate him because of his question. Jesus attempts to answer it. But Jesus helps to show him this. Eternal life is not something that you can achieve. Eternal life is something that you receive. Eternal life is not found by something that you do. Eternal life is found in by, in, in by believing in him who has already done all that is necessary for you to have eternal life. It is not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercies that he saved us. So Mark is making very clear salvation 
from start to finish is not a human achievement. Salvation from start to finish is believing in what God has provided for us by way of Jesus Christ. What good thing must I do? Why call me good? Jesus says there's none good but one. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and the mother. Not, not a word here, because many people think, well, this man, he had done all of the law. And this is what is true about this man. He had at least evidently lived up to all the external demands of the law. He, he had done everything that the law externally required for him to do. But this is the problem. This is what the man failed to understand. That sin is not living up or, 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 or being made right with God is not simply living up to the external demands of the law. Because sin is not something that is external. Sin is something that is internal. Sin is not something that happens outside of you to you. Sin is something that happens inside of you, Jesus says in Mark chapter 7. It's not, the, it's not the external part of the man that defiles the man. What defiles the man is the heart of man. Jeremiah 17, it's the heart of man that is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And Jesus points this out to him. Jesus says, you've, you've lived up to the external part of the law, sure. You have not physically committed adultery, but do you remember Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7? So while you may not have physically committed an act of adultery, have you looked upon a woman to lust after her? Because if you have done that, then you have committed adultery already with her in your heart. And you have there, thereby, because of sin in your heart, you have violated the law of God. Have you looked on your brother with anger? Have you been hate? Have you been have you have you had hatred for toward them? Have you been harsh or mean or cruel toward them? Then Jesus says, if you've said these things and have hatred in your heart towards your brother, then guess what? You are guilty of murder. You have killed your brother in your heart. It's much more difficult than simply living up to some external religious understanding or exercise. No, it's much more difficult than that. Why? Because sin is an inside job. Jesus points this out to him. One thing thou lackest, go, sell whatever you have, give to the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Come, take up your cross and follow me. The Bible says that the man went away sad. Notice he did not go away defiant. Notice he did not go away angry. Notice he went away sad. Not angry. Sad. Why? Well, presumably because Jesus had revealed to the man exactly what this man's sin was. You are aware of this, are you not? That I am, you are, we all are, every person has sinned and come short of the glory of God. The penalty for sin, the Bible says, is death. The reason we die is because of sin. The reason there is death is because of sin. The reason there is destruction is because of sin. The reason there are tsunamis and hurricanes or tornadoes, the reason there are earthquakes is because of sin. Sin broke the world that we live in. 
And what sin has done is sin has separated us from God here in this life. Sin separates us from God. So if you have not believed on the Lord Jesus, then you do not have with God relationship with him. You do not have closeness with God. You are separated from God because of your sin. And the Bible says that if you die in that state, if you die in that condition, separated from God as a result of sin, you do not just go off into oblivion. The Bible says you go to hell. And God doesn't want you to go to hell. God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. And so God has provided a way of escape. God has provided salvation from sin. But that one and only way of salvation from sin to God is through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus came into this world. He was born of a virgin. He was free from a sinful nature. He lived in a world full of sin, but he never one time sinned. He went to the cross. He died in your place. And the Bible says that they laid him in a grave. And three days later, he rose from the dead. He ascended to the right hand of the throne of God. And he offers to you and to me and all who would believe eternal life if you will simply turn from your sin and believe in him. So while this man lived up to the external part of the law, what this man was unwilling to do was he was unwilling to surrender to Jesus the throne of his heart. Jesus showed the man his sin. His sin was that he had another God before the true God. His wealth, his riches, his money, his success, his strength, his awesomeness, his religiousness sat on the throne of his heart. He may have in a relatively speaking way, obeyed all the commandments that had to do with human relationships. He may be what C.S. Lewis called a nice person who was lost in his niceness. But however nice he was, he lived in perpetual disobedience because of his sin. And he violated that very first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. You may say, well, that doesn't seem that bad. Just comparatively speaking, the guy was a nice guy. He didn't do some bad things. But I want you to see this, any sin, even one sin, can cost you salvation. That's the seriousness of sin. The Bible says, look at verse 24. The Bible says, Jesus turns to his disciples. He tells his disciples this, children, how hard is it for them that, and here it is, watch, that trust in riches. You see that? So this man's trust wasn't in Christ. This man's trust was in his riches. This man's faith wasn't in Christ. This man's faith was in his own success. This man's faith wasn't in Jesus. This man's faith was in his own religiousness. How hard is it for them that trust in riches, in their own success, in their own abilities, in their own religiousness? How hard is it for them? 
It's, it's impossible. That's the answer. It is impossible for them to enter into heaven. This man allowed money to be his God. And I will tell you this, while money is a great tool, money is a terrible God. And Jesus says, the only way to have eternal life is by setting aside, turning away from, smashing all of your substitute gods and believing on me with childlike faith. And if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in that way, if you turn from your sin and your self-righteousness and you believe on him, the Bible says that you can be saved. How do I live for what matters most? Hey, you go to the right person. Ask the right question. But here's the third one. You must make the right response. The man... He went away sad. Why? Well, because gold would be his God, not Jesus. Money would be his master, not Jesus. He would make the priority of his life his possessions and thereby would miss eternal life, die in his sin. And be separated from God and from Christ for all of eternity. You see, friend, no thing can be allowed to stand between you and Jesus. To put anything ahead of Jesus is no less than idolatry. To make any person Ahead of Jesus is to make out of that person an idol. To put any relationship ahead of Jesus is to make out of that relationship a false god. Any item that you put ahead of Jesus, anything that you put in front of him becomes your god. And Jesus says to him what he says to no one else. Because Jesus knows his heart. And Jesus says to him what he did not say to Peter and what he did not say to James and what he did not say to John, what he did not say to Thomas. In fact, what he said to none of the disciples, Jesus says to this man, sell everything you have and then come and follow me. And the man goes away sad. Why? Because he realized in that moment the words of Jesus were speaking not to the external part of the law that the man felt confident he had lived up to because the man felt safe in his religion, but he knew he had no relationship with the living God. And Jesus points it out to him, you have another God sitting on the throne of your heart. You must repent, turn from him and believe only on me. And the man went away sad because he refused to give up his treasure on earth. And thereby, he missed all the treasure of heaven. I, I, I want to say a word here. There's, there's lots of weird teaching that comes in at the end of this passage. 
There's nothing wrong with having stuff. There's nothing wrong with having nice stuff. In fact, the Bible says that God is a generous God who loves, listen, loves to give good gifts to his children. God is a generous father who delights in giving good gifts to his kids. Which, mean God, which means God is a father not like you and me. We like to give cheap gifts to our kids. He likes to give good and expensive gifts to us. There's nothing wrong with having stuff. But it is wrong when you allow your life to be defined by stuff. It is wrong when you believe that the more stuff you have, that you will somehow be happy because of stuff. Or when you wrongly believe that the stuff you have is going to fill the void inside of you. No, it won't. Buy the newest computer. And it'll be out of date in three months. Yes? Buy a brand new car. And it'll be worth far less five minutes after you drive it off the lot. Just try it. Go buy a car on Monday, drive it off the lot, turn around and drive it on and say, can I have my exact money back for that? And they're going to say, no way, Jose. Even if your name isn't Jose, that's what they're going to say to you. You find, you find your value in stuff and you will find yourself to be a very empty person. Friend, this world is not our home. And there are so many Christians who are living for stuff. They're thinking that the house they have here is the house that they will always have. No, you can have my house. He is building me a mansion. And I would rather have that than this. So many people who are adopting the world's values. And instead of saying, I want to follow Jesus in 2022. They're saying, I want to get more stuff. My wife is great at this. She has a rule in our house. You cannot put any more clothes in your closet until you take an old piece of clothes out of your closet. So if you give me a shirt for Christmas, I have to stand there for about nine and a half minutes trying to decide which shirt in my closet currently has to come out so this shirt can go in. That's frustrating. Manny says, you haven't worn this shirt in like 16 months. I know, but I'm, I might decide on the 18th month to wear it. 
takes it out. She bags it all up, takes it to the Goodwill, delivers it to the clothes closet here at church. She says, Dave, we're, we're pilgrims here. We're tra that wasn't funny. We're traveling. We're traveling light. That's what that means. We're traveling light. We're not trying to get weighed down with all kinds of stuff. We're pilgrims. We're just journeying through. This world is not our home. Stop living and thinking as if it is. It isn't. How do we live for what matters most? Go to the right person. That person is Jesus. Ask the right question. Make the right response. Make the right response.